0: Welcome to the third season of the For Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and one of the lay elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. This season, we are going to talk about work, careers, taking our faith into the marketplace, and some practical advice. This episode, we're going to talk about education and educators. Education is one area of life has been extremely impacted by the pandemic and the lockdown In a recent study, 27% of teachers are considering quitting because of COVID. It has been a a really rough two years uh, for educators. In 2017-18 school year, there were 3.5 million full-time and part-time public school teachers and 1.5 million faculty in degree-granting post-secondary institutions. Today, we are going to talk to two of them. I'm excited to be talking today with Dr. Kelly McGuire and Rob Burns. Thank you both for your time today. Thank you.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Oh, well, Kelly, let's start with you. A bit of background. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your family, where you currently work, and how long have you been attending Redemption Church Gateway?
1: Well, um, let's see, I'll start with my family. So married to uh, Joe McGuire, and we've been married for 30 years. We do live here in Gilbert, but I did grow up in Phoenix. And when I married him, he was a Marine. So we traveled all around the country and settled back here in, I believe it was 2003. So that's when we became members at Redemption. Um, As far as my career is concerned, uh, started out as an elementary teacher and then moved on to junior high and then high school, and now I teach at Grand Canyon University, and I teach the pre-service teachers how to teach. So all of my students will become junior high or high school English teachers. Oh, wow. Great. Rob?
2: Um, I am married to Reagan. We have been married for, we're coming up three years. We have a daughter that's two years old. Um. I've been going to Redemption. We've been going. We went to Gilbert for about a year. Then we went to uh, Gateway for now two years. And I am a high school English teacher at Basha High School in Gilbert, Arizona. Two English teachers. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. I'm going to be critically uh, <laughs> for every word. Uh-huh. I'm, not a, I'm not one of those uh, grammar Nazis. Oh, well, that's good. So don't worry about that. Kelly didn't respond there. so
1: that Yeah, you don't it, want to sit at the, the dinner table with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well, Kelly, uh, full disclosure, Kelly and I are in an RC together, and so really? she gets to hear me bumble through English um, um, every Tuesday night night, <laughs> uh, typically during RC season. So, well, great. Thank you both. Um, so, Rob, let's start with you. So, like, what led you to pursue a career in, in education, deep, to being a teacher? Okay. Well,
2: first of all, I didn't want to be a teacher right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought about it one day while I was in, like, middle school or high school, because my both my parents are, high. Uh, well, my dad was a high school teacher, art teacher, and a coach. My mom was an elementary English teacher, And she did do a little bit of high school English teaching as well. But I never thought that I would do this. Right when I got out of college, I actually went and sold cars up in the Twin Cities for a little bit. What kind of cars? uh, Used and new Honda cars at an automobile dealership up in the Twin Cities. Did not like that. Wasn't good at it. So I actually got let go and I came back and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I was living with my parents. I was working at a hospital, just serving food to um, patients. and But I was helping out with a middle school team where uh, it was O'Gorman Junior High. I went to a Catholic private school, and I was helping them out with the basketball team, and I was helping out in the varsity basketball team where I went to school, school ed. And I enjoyed that com- camaraderie that I had with the kids. And uh, one day we're driving to the state basketball tournament, and uh, the assistant coach's father— was the vice president at a school in Sioux Falls called University of Sioux Falls. He starts telling me about this master's in education program. He goes, you like to coach? Uh, you could teach too. And I'm like, all right. So I uh, enrolled and I got a master's in education. My, um, my first job as a teacher was at a middle school and I was working in a learning center. So they would bring kids that were like uh, sped students in and I would help one-on-one or they would send the bad kids that, you know, the, the the veteran teachers couldn't manage and I would just like kind of watch over them. SPED SPED yeah. students? What Sped, are Sped. uh special education oh. special education kids. So they'll be on like an IEP or 504 because they just need extra support, Great. basically. And then um then I came here, like I told you, I came down here for a teacher job fair and I got hired by a, a school in South Phoenix called Cesar Chavez. Worked there for two years as an English teacher. That was really difficult for me, but I learned a lot. And uh, now I'm at Basha High School. This is my fifth year there now. Go Basha. Uh-huh. They have a pretty good sports program, don't they? Uh, good basketball program. Are you doing any coaching? No. no. I did it for like two years. I just volunteered, but it was like a lot of traveling. So yeah, now I'm going to help with the Speech and Debate Club this Ooh, year. And nice. I, I get a little extra money on top of it, too.
0: Very nice. Yeah. Kelly, what led you to being an educator?
1: Well, I was one of those kids that was always playing school. So, you know, as a kid, (laughs) I I had like the the bedroom set up with my my siblings and stuffed animals and dolls and that kind of thing. So I think that maybe that precipitated it. But I wasn't one of those kids that knew I was going to go to college. So when Mm. I was in high school, I really didn't have any aspirations to go to college. He was a family friend that said something about, well, you know, anybody can go to college, you know, you can get grants and scholarships and loans. And so that's what then brought me um, to apply to go to the University of Arizona. So, but I didn't start out as a teacher. So kind of like like Rob, that wasn't my first ambition. Um, I, I was in fact in like nursing, that was the declared major. And it was kind of funny, my mom said something to me about, well, you know, with nursing, you know, you're gonna have to, you know, clean up a lot of throw up and <laughs> stuff. And I thought, well, that sounds terrible. I don't wanna do that. So I switched majors to elementary ed. And funny story, I was student teaching in second grade. And one of the second graders threw up all over the floor and guess who had to, you know, clean up, throw up. So, um, that's kind of the, the funny little way I got into education. I ended up really liking it. And I, I think that I was pretty good at it. Um, after that, I moved, um, back from Tucson back to Phoenix and I got my first job as a fifth grade teacher with the Glendale school district. Mm. So I was, um, kind of up in the, Mm -hmm. the Northwest, um, Let's see. After that, got married and then moved to Hawaii. So then I taught at a variety of schools out there. I taught at a, um, a school that was for um, high-functioning dyslexic children. So kind of like you, like a SPED program. So we had 504s and IEPs that we implemented. Um, also then uh, taught at a Christian school out there then um, moved back to Arizona, then out to Florida. Florida was a a more challenging uh, place to teach. Uh, Elementary out there was a a bit more challenging. I had known that poverty existed in the world, but I had never really seen it in education until I worked in a little poverty pocket um, outside of Orlando. Mm. So taught a variety of different um, grades out there. And then back up to like Northern Kentucky, Ohio, back out here to Arizona. Wow. The bulk of my um, teaching would be here back in Arizona. Um, so taught at a charter school. So I've kind of done everything. So I've actually done uh, private Christian parochial um, charter and public. Um, so the charter school, I mainly was a fourth grade teacher. And then after that, I had gotten a couple of masters in between an elementary masters and then a master's in English and decided to see if I could pursue junior high and high school. And so I did that for a number of years.
0: That's great. Mm -hmm. Did any of you do any type of remote or online teaching before the pandemic? No.
1: Um, yes, but not quite the way that we would think of it as the pandemic. At GCU, all of our courses have an online component, whether you're teaching as an online instructor, or if you're teaching on ground. So I had some, yes.
0: Mm. So uh, pandemic hits, we go into full lockdown, education basically is 100%. I I saw one study was like up to, there was like 93%. So I'm, you know, it wasn't probably a full 100%. But I'm sure both of your roles went 100%. Uh, what were you know like top 2 or 3 kind of challenges
2: of teaching online? Well um, we I don't know how yours I don't know how yours went. We were just basically told to give them two assignments a week and two. It, yep to well here's here's how our district did it. If you had um, an A you did not have to do any work. You could just take that grade. If you wanted to improve your grade, you could continue this, you know, like that spring semester that we went into lockdown and everything was closed off. That's what they gave those options. So if a kid wanted to improve their grade, they could do the work and it was two assignments a week. And we just posted everything on Google classroom. And then we would grade it and they had any questions they could message us. Um, But basically I didn't have a lot of like, it It, it kind of sucked because I, I, I formed a lot of relationships with those kids that were juniors mm. and they actually came back. And one of the kids is like, I kind of missed that, that last part with you. I didn't have that last quarter with you as a junior. Cause I love teaching juniors and the curriculum that we do and the literature that we read is awesome. So I missed out on that. So that was, I'm not going to lie. My, I was like full bull, hundred percent working. When I had to go online, <laughs> I didn't have to do much. Mm-hmm. Really? Just, I'm not gonna lie to you. I wow. did not have to do much. There was a lot of people that we would have like we would have meet, meetings and such. Um, but my job was literally just like answering emails and um, doing homework assignments that we we would meet and talk about what we were gonna give them. But it was it was fairly. Um, easy but I was like watching my child and stuff there's a lot of people that were taking pictures put them on Instagram but (laughs) it was pretty fairly easy yeah I read but then after that obviously it got a little bit more challenging because I actually I was working for Chandler Online Academy so I was doing more and more so.
1: I did read a, a recent research article that had come out, you know, post 2020. Yeah. And it was about that very issue. Um, you know, how did we do during especially that March to say May or June of 2020? And this article had something about we either thrived or we survived. And so, you know, <laughs> oh my, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So some of us just survived it. You know, yeah. we, we made it through and other teachers really just, you know, took off. Um, for me, it wasn't that big of a jump but like you, the, the main thing that I missed were the relationships. Yep. I, I pride myself on building relationships with my students, with m- those pre-service teachers. And I teach them that that's one of the key things that you're going to do when you guys become teachers in a classroom, build relationships, get to know your students. That in-person factor, when that was eliminated was really challenging. Hmm. We went to Zooms, and it was interesting. I had almost a hundred percent attendance, and they didn't want to log off. They wanted to stay on the Zoom mm, and wow. interact with each other wow. because they <laughs> missed that component. But I have co- but that, I have college oh, students, yeah. you know, four hundred level course was that, sp- that spring semester. That was that, that spring was semester. that like,
2: first, oh, okay, mm-hmm. we, kids would just kind of they're like, "All right, I don't have to do anything
1: anymore." Right now, I did pick up. Um, uh, a job at a local uh catholic school that fall of 2020 and it was definitely the blended i was in the classroom with some students but then i had the computer oh, and i wow. have like the, okay. the other students that are at home and that was really disconcerting because yeah. you know they had black screens i couldn't interact with them as well
2: yeah so yeah
1: really challenging
2: yeah fall semester we uh well, I was, I, I got to go to my classroom fall semester, but I was teaching primarily online, right. like, and all the teachers were there, but there was no students, right. obviously. Mm-hmm. And there was attendance, but it was mostly like, they're going to come on, hear what they have to hear from the kid, the, yeah, from the teacher and then go do their assignments. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they would stay for the whole two hours. Cause we went to. We had block schedules, block schedules, like two hour periods. And that actually, we did that for the full year. So when we finally came back, that was a little bit of a struggle, but mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Mm. So, um, it'd be easy to probably to spend more time on just the kind of the pandemic, but you both talked about earlier in your careers just kind of challenging mm-hmm. at, at certain schools. I think you talked about Cesar Chavez, mm-hmm. uh, uh, elementary
2: no it was a high school high school mm-hmm. in
0: in phoenix here and then you talked about florida so mm-hmm. maybe just as a being an educator like what are some of the challenges in as a role um just doing the job um trying not to take it home like just just what, whatever comes to mind when you say teacher and challenge
2: you want to go
1: <laughs> well pay paychecks are usually way up there teachers you know historically just do not get paid very much so we just have to reconcile that that is the way it is there are the funny things about how you know you don't really get a bathroom break um other challenges um one of the biggest challenges can be parents dealing with parents um i've often said it would be far better to just be in my four walls and not have to deal with parents which is a bonus teaching at a a university you don't have to deal with the parents um sometimes um, uncooperative administration can be a real a real mm. challenge that can make or break your year um, other challenges just might be you know for me at the school in Florida was just that poverty discrepancy and you know having kids that had you know the they were on the free reduced um, you know lunches for breakfast and lunch and on Monday morning, their last meal really had been lunch the Friday before. Oh no so you know challenges like that are are really hard yeah. um, and then trying to educate them on top of being hungry
2: mm. mm-hmm. well it's it's kind of like a, a t- it's like two sided story. So when I was at this school at South Phoenix, Cesar Chavez. It was like hard. I I went through a lot of suffering, but I was teaching English and I did not. My degree, my undergraduate degree is in communication studies and business. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) being thrown into that and the the demographics and the student body, they're there because it's compulsory education. They have to be there. Okay. So trying to teach them
1: a love of literature yeah like
2: trying to teach them we taught Macbeth, trying Mm -hmm. to teach them that or we 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 read things fall apart Mm -hmm. um getting them to enjoy that especially when their life outside of school where they're like you're not they're not reading outside of school and they have other struggles that's going Mm -hmm. on it just made it very very difficult absolutely and uh do I have that same difficulty at Basha? Yes, I do. I still have that same difficulty trying to get these kids engaged in like literature when they have all these other things that uh, you know, grasp their mind. So that's really hard. So it's it's sometimes the students, parents, yeah, it's only like one parent that is always like on you constantly about your kid. Really? But mm-hmm. really it's just like the students can be a lot, but they can also have that those moments where you're like, "Oh my" did you just write that? Did you just say that there's something brilliant f- that just came from your mouth or just came from your pencil? So yeah, just the difficulties of getting kids engaged in something that I love when, and then also when I care so much about this and they're like, I don't really care about this. It's hard. Mm. I guess that's the biggest challenge that I have to overcome as an individual and as a student, as a teacher. Excuse yeah. Me.
0: So you're at a dinner party, you're in the lobby at the church, you're, you know, at a ball game, Someone's like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a teacher. Like, what are the common kind of misconceptions people have about oh. teachers? Oh,
1: you have the summer off.
0: Oh. oh, yeah. Summer vacation. That's not true. No. Okay. Why is that? Not, you spend why? your
1: entire summer lesson planning, reading oh. new things, especially as an English teacher. You might be reading the, the newest young adult literature, seeing if it can be implemented into your curriculum, trying to get approval from your administration to implement something that hasn't been on the, on the list. Um, I think that we're always updating lesson plans. I mean, I can, I can pull up my old stuff, but I want to make it new and relevant each semester.
2: Hmm. I thought you were going to ask, what did it, after you talk to somebody, what's the first, they always say, oh, you're so patient. Aren't you so patient? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty patient (laughs) with my kids. (laughs) (laughs) But any
0: other misconceptions? Besides that, you're patient or oh, that you have the summer
2: off? I, I mean, like, we don't really do anything. We don't really teach. Mm. I guess that's a, like, I'm, a, like, they always think, like, the the coach, like, they just roll up the, the TV screen and they just put <laughs> the on a movie or something. Yeah. I guess that's one of the things. Oh, gosh.
0: Um, what was it like the, if, uh, you know, that first class, that first day? <laughs>
1: Of our first year teaching, right after student I'm, teaching? Yes. Oh, man. First year oh, teacher.
0: Gosh. Let's just, I,
2: instead of first class, maybe the, that first semester. I thought my student teaching was easier than my first day of school. But, totally. But I, really? I came in Why? there, I was terrified. Oh. Well, because when you're student <laughs>
1: teaching, traditional student teaching, you've got a mentor teacher in yeah. there with you, so okay. you don't feel mentor so, mentor, so alone. A safety net. My mentor yeah, exactly. teacher
2: left me. He would just, he went off into. Oh, the, my gosh. No, I got <laughs> the whole scaffolding <laughs> thing. <laughs> he went, he said, see you later.
1: Good luck. Oh, and I go, okay. Yeah.
2: My first, my first day was terrifying. Like with the the group of kids that I have, I remember it's it's itched into my brain that day. I was like, I got people goofing around. I was like, I can't manage this. So,
1: well, that's interesting because you got your master's in English.
2: No, I got a master's in education. In education,
1: yeah. yeah. So, is that when you took all your methods courses and learned yeah. all the classroom management and stuff? That yeah. still
2: that didn't help.
1: Right, still. right. Um, I think for me, I, I definitely remember my first year teaching. And I remember I was still living at home. So, you know, it was just fresh out of out of college. So still living at home. And I, I literally came home crying every single day. Mm. And my mom told me, she goes, well, you signed a contract, <laughs> so you're going to finish the year. And if you don't like teaching after this first year, then you don't have to do it anymore. And here I am 30 years yeah. later still doing it. So yep. you just have to kind of gut your way through it. Yeah. But there are so many challenges that you know, you do your best to to be prepared in college, and I feel like that's what I'm trying to do with my pre-service teachers, but nothing really prepares you till you're in your own no. four walls and those kids are yours.
2: Because, like, the things that they may, you can't predict what they're going to say that day. No. Like, I've had, a couple <laughs> years ago, I would come home with, because my first year, I was single. I was living in Tempe. Oh, sorry. I was single. I was living in Tempe by myself. So there wasn't somebody to come Come home home to, to (laughs) to talk to about things. I had a, I had a, I had a mentor. His name was Bob St. Pierre and I could go and talk to him because he was just like stone cold. He could, he was fine. I was always like ruffled. Um, but a couple of years ago, like the things that the kids would say, like would latch onto me and I would bring that home and I would like tell my wife this. And then like last year, she's like, you don't bring that home anymore. And I go, well, I've.
1: (laughs) I found a way for
2: it to like, what is it called? Let the water come off the duck's back or something. So I try to do that more often. Yeah.
1: And that is one of the bigger challenges of teaching. I didn't even think of that before that, that we do bring it home. You know, I think about my husband who's a pilot. So once you park the plane and you drive home, you don't bring your work home with you. But teachers do, uh, you know, my husband will say, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about so-and-so <laughs> and what they said and how I responded. Yep. And, bl- and we're almost always thinking about our kids or the next lesson plan, you know. So we bring our work home. And yep. then as English teachers, oh gosh, you just always grading.
2: Just. Yeah, I just brought a bunch of notebooks home. Yeah, always just grading. Grade. But they're not like long essays, but I have to grade a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Oh gosh. Um. How, how do you think.
0: Uh, the lockdown and COVID, the pandemic, how do you think it will, has changed education for years to come? Do you think it will, this will be a blip or do you think there are going to be some seismic changes to the way we educate, you know, K through 12, even, you know, higher education, how, how what, what, things are going to stick around, what things are going to return back to normal or re- return back to the way it was? Like, how do you see education changing post pandemic?
2: Unfortunately, this is what's going to stick. And I'm an old school teacher. um, But the whole like you have to you have to use technology in your class. We just had a, a keynote speaker talk to us to our whole district staff, all the high schools about like blended learning, like doing old school wisdom, but also blending it with like all the applications that we have out there. I'm not a big fan, but I'm like a guy that likes to do Socratic discussions, so likes to do Socratic dis- uh, seminars where I'm asking kids questions. I'm trying to peel back the layers of the onions, as they said, to get really <laughs> deep into what the author is saying. And I don't want them to be on their phone constantly because mm. they're already on their phone constantly, or they're already in, always in front of um, a computer screen. I want them to to focus in on the text. Mm-hmm. But we have like we have we have at these applications that help with vocab. We have these applications with ACT prep. We have these vocab. We have these applications for grammar, whatever. They're all out there, but we have to use them because, well, we just paid for it. So you have to use them. So that's the thing that's going to stick. Mm. That has, came from and that was happening before there. And also the whole like um, this social emotional learning and that thing that we have to worry about because there's going to be, from that time, they were sitting in front of a screen. A lot of students were impacted by that. They didn't get a, a chance to be around kids and to talk to them. And now that they're back, I guess there's one good thing. They want to be back. They want to be in the classroom. They want to be talking. They want to be engaged. So that's a good thing that has come out of You said whole- social-emotional Teaching, learning, learning, learning. Yeah. Is that a term it's, within the end? That's within the public school. Um, to see what the kids are feeling at the moment, like trying to be counselors and also trying to be parents oh, as wow. a teacher. This keynote speaker is like, I don't believe in social emotional learning. Lear, it's just called learning. It's building relationships with the kids, but it's also building the relationship with the kids by just teaching Mm. the the literature or just teaching them how to write a good um sentence or how to teach write a good paragraph like i'm always walking around my classroom i'm never sitting in my desk totally i come i come home sweating i come home (laughs) tired like that's me i i'm talking constantly i'm trying to i'm i had one kid I, i i knew that he was probably scared to talk to me but i talked to him right in front of me and I felt good about it. He probably didn't, but he he needed that, you know? Right, right. Have you heard about social emotional oh, yeah. learning?
1: Yeah. It's just one of the current buzzwords at yeah, the moment. Yeah, of, yeah. In education, they come and go, and then they come back with a new name or a new definition. Yeah.
2: And then we forget about all the old techniques. Right. Yeah. Well, for those of you listening,
0: you're probably wondering, "Are when are you going to ask about Common Core? I'm not going to ask about okay, Common good. Core. We're going to move on. But Kelly... Yeah, what 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 changes do you think are going to stick and what are going to um, what's going to return in regards to education after the pandemic? Well, I
1: think one of the good things that that came out of that, although it was really really brief, I was hoping it would be a little longer lasting, was that parents who then had to be in charge of their kids' education actually really appreciated teachers for a while. Yeah. And for a while we were kind of like, "Oh, Are pretty darn special. You guys work hard. They should be paid more. (laughs) But it passed. It 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 went away. It was kind of fleeting. But for a moment, we teachers kind of had that, oh, wait a minute. What we do is, you know, validated by the general public.
0: You're like first line first line responders, first line for education. For education, Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um I I do think that maybe education will change because like it or not, and the bumps and hiccups that we had going to blended learning, I think some of those things will probably stay. It's it's opened it up. We've seen it in, in universities, you know, as far as, you know, you can get your entire degree online. Um, and I think that we may see more of that um, options maybe for students in, say, our elementary our junior highs and high schools, maybe mm-hmm. more you know, options for finishing their education.
2: Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Cause you're, in the, you're in the university level. Yeah. Do you think that's going to water down um, what, the water merit down. of getting a, a college degree and also the merit of like training kids to be actually... You know, I think it
1: depends. I think it depends. I will say I got my entire doctorate online through GCU was 100% online to residencies in person. But the rigor, you know, that was built in to the course and, you know, the courses and content was pretty darn robust. Um, How that would pan out for our elementary kids that I think that would be way harder. I, yep. I th- I'm I'm kinda like you. Definitely. When you said old school, I was I was I was smiling <laughs> over here. You know, I have to teach my preschool my pre-service teachers to you know, find some technology. What would you implement into your lesson plans? But like you, the reality for me, I would just much rather be sitting on a little wheelie stool, going around, you know, seeing what my, my kids are doing, yep. um, talking to them, engaging them in conversations, um, peeling back the meaning in the text, that yep. kind of thing, rather than what's the, you know, latest and greatest, well, you know, bells and whistles with yep. the technology. Yeah. Because, and then the other thing is, if, if that fails... If suddenly, you know, internet goes down that day at school, what are you going to do? Your entire lesson was built only on a, on electronics and you don't have that and you don't know what to do. Um, and that happens sometimes, even at the university, it all goes down and you're like, well, doesn't mean we get to cancel class. <laughs> yeah, We're still right. going to do something. Uh-huh. So,
0: Did you have any students, I'm sure a lot of students struggled with the online because you would think all the students that both of you work with are all digital natives. They're used to doing everything, but I've, I've, I have a child that is uh, 18 and or 19 and she is not a fan of technology. Like she did not enjoy the online learning yeah. experience, but did you have any kids that actually thrived with kind of the online? And, and then part of it, Rob, I was thinking of you is there's probably because they're not in a classroom in a public high school with all the drama yeah. and everything yeah, el- right. else was
2: going on, some of them probably thrived because yes. they weren't under that pressure. Oh, exactly. You hit it on the point. Like when I was doing that online, specifically it was for online, there was a lot of kids that were thriving it, and they would tell me, cause I had to meet with them and they were telling me that just what you exactly said, they're like, there's nobody around me. I don't have to worry about all that gossip, all that, um, mm-hmm. you know, somebody talking, mm-hmm. Or somebody that's right next to them that's not engaged. I didn't have to worry about that. I had full autonomy to do whatever I wanted, and I could do it on time. And these were kids that were like self-starters; they could do it. It was a lot of female students that were able to do it. The guys needed a little bit more help. Um, not all, not all, but most. And um, so, yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah. What about you, Kelly? Um, Did you have any that
1: not? Kind of- I didn't really notice much of a difference. And I think it really is because at GCU, every like I said, every single course has an online component. So everything that they ever submitted was online anyway. That platform was already set. They were already familiar with it. So all we had to do instead was incorporate, instead of driving to school, just find a place, get on your computer and let's Zoom. Yep. Although for some of them, that that part did serve as, you know, as a challenge. They had to move off campus, move back home. I mean, I remember one of my students, I noticed it seemed like her, where she was sitting on her computer and the Zoom was kind of odd. And I, I kind of said, where are you? She goes, well, I'm back at home and all my siblings are here. I'm in the laundry room sitting on the floor. You know, I, I was looking at washers and dryers behind her. It was the only place she could find. So some of those things, yeah. you know, were factored in. Um, you know, just seeing, and and just learning that whole you know that Zoom etiquette, mm-hmm. and kind of <laughs> relaxing a little you know uh, we're all going through you know something similar.
2: I guess that was pretty nice though when we when I came back like I think it was spring semester we had like after the uh, spring break we had two weeks where we had to go online, mm-hmm. so the classroom management was easy. <laughs> I mean, because they were just you on. Mute you could mute them and <laughs> oh wow yeah, but. <laughs> still miss i wish they were there but totally. You know I mean? any totally. fun uh zoom
0: student uh kind of stories you can share anything that was uh Nothing comical much. or not really interesting no? no
1: no i didn't have sure. anything no. that was okay. too yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah all right Nothing not too weird like i saw i've seen <laughs> we've
0: read about, yeah, those, I've but... read about those but <laughs> yeah not on my side so um being believers and being educators um Tell us a little bit about how you think about taking the gospel into your role as an educator. Uh, How does it affect your ability to connect with students, with parents, Um, lesson planning, like this, you know, as we say here at at Gateway uh, and at Redemption, all of life is all for Jesus. So how does the gospel really affect your role as a teacher?
1: Well, you know, for me, I'm, I'm teaching at a Christian university, so I am totally allowed and encouraged to talk about my faith with my students. So that one's pretty easy. I do find that I, I, I do it pretty naturally. Um, kind of call it lifestyle evangelism. So whatever my students seem to be going through, if they come to me with stuff that's going on, then it's like, let's pull up a chair, let's just talk and that it will flow out a little more naturally. When I have taught in the public school, especially at the schools out in Florida uh, where that was harder, I felt like that was a little bit more challenging because I couldn't be as forthright with my um, faith. So that had to show up in different ways. And so, you know, I talked about my kids being hungry. I always had some kind of, you know, granola bars or something quick that they could grab to eat. So I kind of felt like, you know, Scripture says if, if someone's naked, clothe them, if they're hungry, feed them, you know, if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. So that was just my way of, you know, expressing my faith. It was more kind of just through quiet action and providing for needs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do it through like actions. Mm-hmm. Um, cause sometimes I feel like I have to leave that behind Absolutely. as soon as I get out of my car. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, I had a GK Chesterton quote that I put up there Oh, and, um, he didn't, it didn't say anything like spiritually, but I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to throw that up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have told him like, I'm a Christian. I have. Oh really? You're allowed to do that? I've, I've said it. <laughs> I go to church. I, <laughs> I, I did like a little like blip where I wrote about myself.
1: I get to know you I kind of thing. get to know you. Yeah. And yeah. I said
2: that, uh, I said that I, uh, my vocations as a father and as a husband um, and also as a church goer. So I've I've thrown a little stuff in there. But I also have done that where I, I put – we have like a little profile. So you go on the website, here's Mr. Burns, and I wrote a little blip about myself and I said, wherever God leads me, I had to take that out hmm. of that. And um, yes, It's public school. It's public school, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I actually called Mark and I said, hey, man – Um, Mark Andrews, I was like, Hey man, I am, I'm going through a little thing. What should I do? And he goes, well, you can be a martyr or you can be like, it doesn't really matter because you're still a Christian no matter what. And I just took it down. It wasn't a big deal. I did call, call up some lawyer, but they said they wouldn't help out. So yeah, I've had that, that, that experience, but I've, I, I like what you said. I like that. You, you do it through actions. And mm-hmm. when I was at Chavez, I had I went through that kind of – because there was a lot of poverty-stricken students. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to do stuff for them. If I have to give them like a dollar, if I have to give them some food, or if mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to drive them home because they don't have a drive, yep. or they yep. don't have a ride, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, it's mostly through my actions. That's the only way I can do it. But I have snuck in some stuff. Probably. One of my rules is love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, and
1: great. some some schools, like the Great Heart Academies, they use um, – Bible um passages and that yeah. kind of thing as part of their it's literature. Historical, it's historical, historical references. references. So sometimes, you know, when we've been in public schools, we can kind of yeah. sneak it in.
2: Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be reading John Edwards, The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry, Angry God. God. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like Great text. I'm looking at it, I'm like, is this gonna can I do this? <laughs> 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 oh God, this is awesome. It's gonna some scare some students. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: have you ever had any persecution or been slighted because of your being a Christian uh, within education?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs>
2: All right. Um, yeah. Anything more to, to say, Rob? I, I. No, not really. I think it's more <laughs> my politics get more attacked than my Christian beliefs. Mm. I kind of keep that on the low and when I find somebody that, but when I, the only, I kind of hide it, but when I, not really, because when, when I find that there's a like student that's Christian, we have like an alliance and I can talk to him. but I really haven't had anybody come down on like my faith. I had a, a, a teacher, she's like, yeah, one of my students wanted to use scripture for uh, textual evidence. And I kind of like stopped I'm like, what's wrong with that? But I didn't say anything to her, but nothing really attacked about my faith, more just like my political beliefs. Mm. Um. So how have you been able to, so there's,
0: there's kind of word and deed and, and mm-hmm. you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Um. But you know, are there any, I guess, what advice would you give to believers who are young believers who are entering into the world of education? Like what advice would you give them as a fellow believer? Like, Hey, this is something I've learned, or this is something that I feel that like God gives me strength to do, X, Y, and Z because it's it's tough. Because as yeah. an educa- educator, there's definitely things that are difficult, whether it be students or or administrators or parents. Um, but yeah, or having things said about you that you have to take you you might take home, like mm-hmm. just like how what advice would you give to a young believer who's also
2: a teacher? I definitely wouldn't. I always, recently I've done this is, and I would tell a, a young s- teacher that you can't trust in yourself. You cannot trust your feelings. You have to trust in God. Mm. Like sometimes I've come to class and this is my not planning during the summer thing, <laughs> not prepared. Someone is taking summer, <laughs> <Yeah>. summer. <laughs> I'm using my summer for rest and relaxation. Um, but I've come to class and now I'm, I'm getting a little bit, I'm like a veteran now, so I can put something together. But I've, when I was younger, I was like, what am I going to do? And something has come to me. And I really, I put that on God that he's been able to, you know, allow me to be prepared each day for what is going to come. So I don't trust my feelings, my will. I have to always sit, ask God to give me his Holy Spirit to guide me. So never trust in your feelings. Trust in what Lord, the Lord is going to put in front of you. hmm Kelly, what advice would you give to?
1: Um, I was thinking back to you know some of the harder years that I had teaching, and those are the things that I usually then pass along to my pre-service teachers as they prepare to go into the workforce. And some of them are some of my students are not Christians. Some are. Some will go teach in Christian schools. Most will not. Most will go into to public. Um, but one of the things that I remember doing, and I have shared with the, shared this with my students before, is you know, putting on the full armor of God. So there were times that I would literally be praying that in the car as yeah. I'm driving to school. You know, okay. you get in the parking lot, you're like, okay, I got it all on. <laughs> Let's go yeah. in, you know, because it, it did sometimes feel like a battle. And so just t- trying to recommend to my, my students who will be teachers to just be as prepared as you can. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you're a believer, God's got you. Yeah. So, a
2: lot of prayer. I didn't say, like totally. a lot of prayer, totally. but also like a lot of planning and also use your elders, use your older teachers. The older
1: teachers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and younger teachers need to, to remember that there's no shame in going to them and asking for help or saying, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Yeah. A lot of the veteran teachers, they want to help. So I would tell those, you know, those younger, you know, novice teachers go and seek it out. Find someone to help you.
2: And one more thing, like, be rebellious. I, like what? be rebellious. Mm. And I mean, like sometimes as Christians and even at like the public school, you might want to p- push the envelope. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. be rebellious. Like I was talking to Adam Rasmussen. He goes here, he teaches an Arizona Christian. He right. goes, he gave some fact about, you know, 16% of millennials rebel in their job. And I'm like, well, I rebel in my job. And he goes, cause you're a Christian. That's why. So you got to like do some things that probably would rub some people's, um, ruffle some people's feathers. You know, Mm -hmm. if you need to Mm -hmm. talk about God, talk about God. I prayed with a bunch of students in a a a a class before, and this was at a public school in South Phoenix. It was after school, and we got it was it was it was very like a Catholic kind Mm -hmm. of community, and we held hands and we we prayed before we ate pizza together. So rebel.
1: I've a lot of times had music playing softly in the background classical, all classical music. day long. Yep. Well, mine might've somehow oh, made okay. it to Caleb. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Fine. It was just the music just happened to be on
0: positive and encouraging.
1: It was. Yeah.
0: Um, so outside of the, the spiritual component or advice that you'd give to young believers, um, what about just more of a practical career advice and it doesn't have to be to teachers. It could be any, let imagine, um, a um, man or woman 25 to 32 ish um, who's kind of their post-college, they might be in that first career or for maybe second job. Um, like what advice would you give them in terms of being a faithful, um, a faithful employee and faithful uh, believer?
2: Oh, okay. Uh, um, I was going to go first. Oh. Um, wake up early. Um, I wake up at four. Four thirty, I got this actually from this old Marine, um, wake up early, do something in the morning. Like I do something like go on Peloton. I do something, I do a lot of stuff before I do all the hard stuff before I go to go off to work. So it makes the rest of the day, um, easier. Um, like we were talking about, don't bring your work home. Um, go to bed early, but also read stuff about your, um, so if I, if, if we were talking, I'm like talking to a younger Do stuff that improves you as a teacher. Mm. Like I read a lot. I read old books. I'm trying to read City of God, which I think would help me. It's a thick book, but I continuously read and write because that's what I need to teach my kids. You need to, I have a buddy who's an accountant. He's always in the mind of an accountant or thinking about money. So, and he reads books about it. So you always have to, uh, perfect your craft or perfect your skills you can't just like okay i'm just gonna work this and think that i'm gonna be all right just being there you got to continuously perfect your craft mm. perfect your craft so and just like yeah get some sleep
1: <laughs> too i think that's the most important
2: thing well okay get some sleep then wake up early
0: and continue to work on your craft yeah yeah
1: i think those are great suggestions i was also going to add in maybe more broad, especially for, um, you know, those up and coming teachers that it's okay to change where you're teaching. Like if you happen to be at a public school and that's not working for you, it's okay. Go try a charter school, go try a parochial school, go try, you know, something else. It's okay. You don't necessarily have to start at that job and be at that same, you know, school, same classroom for the next 30 years. Mm-hmm. Go try a variety of different types, especially in Arizona. We have so many different kind of, you know, school yep. choices. You're not stuck in just one. So um, especially with my pre-service teachers, I tell them, go and observe in different types of schools and see what, yeah. see what you think fits you. Because if, it, if you think it's going to fit your style or your personality, um, you, you'll probably thrive there
2: yeah mm-hmm. and then also like there's got to be this is for any cat recruit is that a way to manage i said like perfect your craft but there's a way to manage your stress by also be able to have something other something that else can that can fill your cup absolutely your glasses i think yeah. they said like you can, I can't have the students be the ones that I find for emotional support. I, that's why I have my wife. That's how I have my child or I have a or I have a buddy. You gotta have a good buddy system. Mm-hmm. I think what was it like Luke or Seth were talking about do you where you're you, if you die and uh your wife had to find six guys to carry your casket. Do you have six guys that would be willing to carry your casket? And I'm like, yeah, I do. So I have that support system outside of my family, but I also have my family as my support system to oh, as a way to alleviate that stress. So I'm not bringing home that stuff, mm-hmm. or I have somebody to talk to, so I can start a new day. Mm. Wow! But you brought something that that's uh, that has changed a little
0: bit from the pandemic, and probably some of it will will return. But I always found the commute was the way to kind of decompress uh-huh. totally to yes. signal switch from work mm-hmm. to being a father yes. and a husband. Mm-hmm. But most, uh, I think McKenzie recently had a study that was like 53% of, of uh, employees want to have some type of hybrid work or work working remote where there isn't this commute where you can not bring work home or oh, yeah, bring yeah. home those emotions. So like what advice would you give whether you are going to work at home or have a commute like just being able to make that transition from work to to home i
1: think like hobbies or you know outside interests yeah. you know especially like what were your outside interests before you got into this career field yeah you know can you revive some of those those are those things that we can do to decompress, whether it's reading, maybe it's watching movies, maybe it's, you know, swimming, hiking, whatever it happens to be. You have to have something else in your life than just your job. I know you know, having moved around the the country a lot and leaving students and leaving my job. And then a lot of times crying over that. And and my husband would say, but, you know, Kelly, you're going to make a difference in students' lives wherever you go. And I'm like, but I want to make a difference in these students. And he's like, (laughs) but you will make a difference in students, you know, so it's okay to have, you know, outside things. It's okay to um, invest in something else that will also charge you up, Yeah. you know, not just your job.
2: Are you talking about, like, there needs to be a detachment from, like, the physical location? Because I go from my, like, I like that I have to get away from my home for a little bit. And then it feels more inviting to come home. Is that what you're saying? Like, is there? Yes. Because some are not going to be able to do that, right? Yeah,
0: that that transition time, whether it's a drive or something that happens between work and home. So one of the things I've been doing recently is I will finish work and I try to finish work at a, at a normal time. Like if I was in an office and then a lot of times if it's been a rough day or I just need to decompress, I'll say, Hey Darcy, I'm going to go lay down, listen to some jazz for about 15, 20 minutes and just turn my, not say turn my brain off, but just make that transition, like do something different physically, do something mentally, Mm -hmm. spiritually. It's a lot of times I'll naturally just moves into prayer. And Mm -hmm. so that also allows me to kind of take my brain off of, I got this report to finish. I got to call that client or whatever. Um, So yeah, that, that's the thing that I'm, I'm, I've been chewing on um, as I think about this podcast, but just also just the state of work is how are we going to find those times to, to make that, that switch? Because another kind of study I saw recently, half of employees feel burned out because they feel like all they're doing is working. And it's that happening at home. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And so making that transition from, uh, you know, working with with customers or your Uh team and then having to make dinner or take the trash out or... Change diapers, whatever.
1: Well, I guess ultimately, it just has to be intentional.
0: It, intentionality, yeah. But yeah.
1: but I will, in the spirit of transparency, say that I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I mean, I'm the one that wakes up at two o'clock in the morning and says, "Oh, this would be a great lesson plan." And then I get up and I go, I go work on it, and it's ready to go for the day. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I, I confess, I'm not really very good at that. But yeah, that would be my advice to others. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Definitely get outside. I would say, right mm, to like. That's what my my wife works at home. Mm-hmm. She she runs in the morning, but sometimes she'll go like I'm gonna go get go get groceries mm-hmm. or something like so I can just get away from the house and come back. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so five fun questions. Oh, Boy. get nice. ready. <laughs> um, if you had a magic wand, what would you fix about your work? If you had a magic wand and you could bring and just fix that one thing about your you know, about the industry, about education, being a teacher, what's the one thing you'd fix? Oh. <laughs> um,
1: Mine would be way more personal. It would just be that my commute not be so long.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah.
2: To be able to, uh, I guess, teach, teach other things, teach other like literature works that are, we can't teach right now, I guess.
0: Oh, okay. Good one. Yeah. Right.
2: Without and without having to worry about like, can I put this with scripture and stuff? So nice. Great answer. Mm-hmm. If God blessed you with
0: $10 million and you didn't have to take a full time paycheck, uh, would you do the same thing? And if you wouldn't, what would you do?
1: Oh no, I'd still keep doing what I'm doing.
2: I would start a school. Start a school. Yeah, I want to start a classical Christian school. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. I would have, uh, if I had enough money to uh, make the to fund it to build the building with that kind of money. That's what I would do. Uh, You can go to Rob Burns GoFundMe. (laughs) (laughs) Start,
0: uh, start praying. Start, start giving. Do you have a favorite quote or Bible verse about work?
1: Not all of you should presume to be teachers.
0: That had double meaning. Yes. That's strong.
2: It is. Strong. I love it. Um, I don't have one about, I always think of, this is not about work, but I always say, fear not, believe only. That's all I got. Say it again? Fear not, believe only. Oh, great. I say that to myself a lot mm. before work.
0: What is your dream retirement job? You've stopped teaching, stopped taking a full-time paycheck, but something that would just kind of be fun, but would fill your fill your day a little bit
2: author blogger and doing wood making uh, wooden flags okay okay
1: wonderful (laughs) mine is beach cottage emerald isle north carolina but i would still probably be an online instructor with just one class so i could just do it from there and just look at the ocean while i'm online teaching
0: nice (laughs) (laughs) So what is the one, the number one, the very top quality or value a person should bring to any type of work?
1: Integrity.
2: Um, Attentiveness. What about integrity?
1: It can be hard in education to maintain integrity. You can be asked to do things that are not ethical and Mm. you still have to do the right thing because... It would honor God rather than man. So I think integrity is key. Yeah,
2: And you said intentative, intentiveness, being attentive, like um, being present. Yeah. Being a present, being able to listen because yeah, I like I have to listen to my kids constantly, um, and giving them an opportunity, slow to speak. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to be able to be able to listen to my kids, uh, my students be able to, um, you know, listen to my colleagues, listen to the wisdom of others. So I think that's pretty, and be present because mm-hmm. like you were talking about, you're always thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow? What what happened yesterday? We have to be attentive. Mm-hmm. We have to be present. Mm-hmm. We have to be listening to what's going on right in front of us. And the right in front of us is this, our student and Absolutely. we got to focus on them. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Robin Kelly, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your faithfulness to the gateway your faithfulness to work but uh, this has been a great time and in uh, jesus name amen, amen. thank you